So everybody say peace. peace. Say peace. peace. Amen. Today, uh, you know, as you guys know, know, we are in the middle of a series about the names of God. And today I have the privilege to speak about Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is my peace. Say peace. And so the first time that this is recorded is actually those words, Jehovah Shalom, is actually in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. But let's pray together, and then uh, we'll jump into hopefully what the Lord has for us today. Okay, let's pray. Father, again, we just want to say thank you. Lord, you are beyond everything. And uh, Lord, you demonstrate your peace. It really does pass all human understanding. These aren't just verses that we know so well that we've almost begun to use as cliches. God, you are God. You cannot fail. So God, I pray that you'd help me uh, to get all the more connected to the peace giver. Help me as a child of yours to always have a passion to know you better. Help each one of us in this room to get a better understanding of who you are so we continue to build more trust because, Lord, we know trust leads to just knowing all the more your peace. And, Lord, we want to tell you that we love you. We'll be careful during this time. We know it's yours. Give you all the credit. We ask it all again in the strong name of our King Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if we look on the slide here again, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is my peace. But the first time those words appear is in Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. So I'm going to ask us to read this together, okay? Uh, We'll give it a shot. I'll be honest with you, the first two hours we weren't in harmony at all. And that's okay because I read like a fourth grader doesn't read well in fourth grade, okay? But let's try to read it together and then I might read it another time depending upon your performance right now, all right? So here we go. I'll start us off. Gideon built an altar. That was horrible. That was just absolutely horrible. No, I'm kidding. You guys are awesome. (laughs) That's good. Hey, so anyhow, as it said, and you read, Gideon built an altar to the Lord there named uh, and named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. Say peace. Now, here's the most unique thing to me about Gideon building this altar at this particular time. Many of us know, probably all of us know the story of Gideon, and it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Just love that story. I'm going to hit a little bit of the high spots, familiar spots. I want to encourage you to read uh, Judges chapter 6 and 7 whenever you get home this afternoon so you can see even more than what I'm going to be sharing. But we find before he builds the altar that God, in a very unique way, shows up through an angel of the Lord and a sacrifice is given. But God comes to Gideon. Gideon and says to him, I want you to save Israel. Israel right now is under the rule of the Midianites, and they've been crying out to God now for a few years saying, God, will you deliver us? And Gideon says to God, are you sure you got the right guy? Because I'm the least of all of my father's household. I've got the weakest army. You don't understand who you're talking to, but the cool thing about God is that's exactly who he would choose. Amen? And I'm telling you, if you're here this morning and you feel like you're the least of, you're the first in line to launch his power. Because he loves to get the glory, and he gets glory through people uh, who are ready to surrender to him. So Gideon says, I'm not your guy. God says, my peace is with you. And then all of a sudden, at this stage, we read about a moment ago, he builds this altar, and he names it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. I believe what he was doing is he was trusting God. I believe that peace really was more along the lines of, God, you say you're going to do this. You haven't done it yet, but I'm building the altar before you even show up because I believe that you are my peace. So here's what happens in the next little bit. Uh, Gideon's still doubting God, saying, okay, I need a sign or two, so why don't you do this? 
I'm going to lay a fleece, a wool fleece, out on the, th- the threshing floor. It was just a, a piece of dirt back in those days, no concrete, obviously, or anything, but there was a lot of ground around it. And he said, if you'll allow tonight a dew to fall, but only get the fleece wet and all the ground around the fleece be dry, then I'm going to know that it's definitely you because I'm telling you, I'm a weakling and you want me to go up against all these people to, to save Israel. So he goes to sleep that night and guess what happens? He wakes up the next day to dry ground, walked over to the fleece, picks it up and wrings water out of it because the dew only hit the fleece. So Gideon reminds me a little bit of myself. He said, okay, I know I said that was going to be the deal, but I need you to do something else. I still don't know if it's me. So tomorrow morning when I wake up, if you would allow the, uh, the fleece to be dry, but the ground around it to be wet, that would be incredible, and then I'll know that I know. And so the next morning, guess what? He wakes up, and the fleece is bone dry. The ground is wet with dew, and so it's finally time uh, to go and fight the battle. Gideon has 32,000 men of war, 32,000. They're going up historically against about 150,000 men of war. So it's a five-to-one ratio, and that's why Gideon was saying, this does not look good. And God says, no, actually, it looks too good. So here's what we're going to do. You see, you're going to win this thing because I'm on your side, and I don't want anybody to say, man, those 32,000 men of war, they must have been incredible, five-to-one you know, uh, odds, and they still won. And so they'll get the glory instead of me. So here's what we're going to do. He said, Gideon, I want you to make an announcement to your 32,000 men and say, if you're afraid, go home. And he did, and 22,000 went home. There, there were Baptists in the Old Testament, okay? Just let you know. <laughs> And so now 22,000 go home. There's left with 10,000 men of war. And he's going, now it's a 15 to 1 ratio here. And, and God says, yeah, that's too many men. We've got to do something about it because still somebody out there is going to go, man, those men, oh my word. And I don't want them to get the glory. I'm God. It's all about me. I'm going to get the glory. So here's what I'm going to do. I want you to go down and have them take a drink out of the water. And those that get down on their hands and knees, send them home. And those that cup their, the water in their hands, keep them. 9,700 got out on their hands and knees and drank. 300 were the only ones he could keep. Now it's 300 against 150,000. And God said, now I like those odds. Because here's why. He said, not one person is going to say, man, those men. But everybody's going to say, hold on a second. Who is their God? And God was going to get all the glory. And you know how the story ends, man. They win. And it's an incredible story of how God did that. And I want to encourage you again this afternoon to read uh, Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7 and look at that. But I want you to know, again, the most unique thing to me is that God was, that Gideon called God the Lord of peace before God did all that. But see, for me, I could have said, he's the Lord of peace after it all happened, right? But I'm telling you, Gideon trusted him in such a way. The next verse I want us to glance at quickly is Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3. Listen to what it says. You know the verse. You will keep keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts. Say trust. Trust. Say trust. Trust. Because he trusts in you. I'm going to read that again. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I believe how much we trust God is in direct correlation to the peace we have in our life. And I'm here to tell you that we have a problem, okay? And the problem is we have an enemy. And that enemy absolutely does not want us to ever know God well enough to trust him. He wants to bring chaos into our life. And so how can we get to know the peace giver? How can you and I, even if we've been believers for a couple decades now, how can we have this passionate pursuit to get to know him? Because 
the way we're going to build trust is to know him more. And the more we know him, the more we're going to trust him. But here's what the Bible says about the enemy. The next verse, and here's kind of where our problem comes into the scene. Listen to what Jesus says about our enemy, the devil, in John 10.10. You know the verse. The Bible says, Jesus says, the thief, say thief, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, Satan has a threefold purpose for you and me, and I'm going to tell you what it is. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy you and me. Matter of fact, I want you to say, steal, kill, and destroy. destroy. Say, steal, kill, and destroy. destroy. One more time. I've said it in the first two hours. If a first-time guest just came into our lobby, they just hightailed it out of the parking lot, I'll promise you. But I'm telling you, the enemy has a threefold purpose. He hates you. He hates me. He hates that your marriages are strong. He hates that you love your children. He hates that this church is unified and they love each other and they love the Lord. He wants to see nothing more than division after division after division. He is out to steal, kill, and destroy you and to kill, steal, and destroy me. And we never can let our guard down because, listen, our enemy is mighty. Now, hear me. We always know the saying, Satan is mighty, but God is what? Almighty, right? And we know that. But I'm telling you, in the same breath, we never want to let our guard down, no matter how almighty our God is, because we have an enemy that wants to absolutely wipe us out. No peace, nothing but destruction. Jesus goes on in that great verse to say, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And so here's the deal. How can we know the one that brings peace? How can we trust him as a follower of him? How can we be a believer for five years and 10 years and 15 and 20 years and continue to know Jesus better tomorrow than we knew him today? I'm not saying you'll bat a thousand on that because I certainly don't, but that should be our goal. Our goal would be to know him better tomorrow than we knew him today. That we know him better today than we knew him yesterday. If we accomplish that, all these things shall be added unto us, the Bible says. I think we'll see more people come to Christ by accident than even we would on purpose, even though we wouldn't be intentional. I think a lot of things would take place if we got this one thing in place, and that is how much do we really have a passion to know Him more every day for the sake of honoring Him? Do we know the peace giver? So here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you a little bit about a tool that God has given us. I don't even want to call it a tool. It's the most strongest, powerful, perhaps the most powerful thing he's ever left believers for us to be able to understand who he is. And that's the word of God. The next verse we're going to look at, you have memorized if you've ever come to a vacation Bible school because it is a part of the Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible. Psalms 119.11. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I believe the greatest way for us to have trust, for us to find peace in God, is for us to know Him. And listen, not just to know Him so we'll have peace, because it's not about us, but to know Him first and foremost because He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. But are we taking this perfect, inerrant, infallible book seriously? Am I taking this perfect, inerrant, infallible book seriously? My answer is no. Not seriously enough. And I want you to know that he has this perfect book for us that's been under attack from the beginning. And the reason why it's under such attack is because it's the one book on planet Earth that tells the truth about Satan. And he hates that. 
And I'm telling you, as a result, people want to say it's got division in it, it has con- you know, conflicts in it. But I'm here to tell you that I've never met personally anyone that's read it from cover to cover, studied it from cover to cover. Maybe they're out there, but I just haven't personally met anyone that would say that it has conflict in it that's ever truly studied this book. And I want you to know, it can be proven. Now, we're not going to prove it in the next 15 minutes, but I'm telling you from the manuscript evidence to the prophecy fulfilled evidence to the unity of the Bible evidence to it being written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors. They were human instruments that it spoke, uh, you know, three, uh, 13 different countries on three different continents. It spoke multiple languages that lived over a 1,600 time frame, and their notes match identically. There's one author to this book. Not the 40, but the one God that spoke through the 40. And it's a powerful book with overwhelming evidence. But I'm telling you, do we have a grip on this book? So I'm going to ask for two volunteers. Actually, I've already asked for them, and they're going to come. And it's Josh and Emily. Josh and Emily, if you guys would come up, let's give a hand to Josh and Emily, okay? They're going to help me out. And I guess we ought to do this up here so those in the balcony can see it, okay? These guys are going to help me out with kind of a little visual aid here on getting a grip on the Word of God. Now, if you haven't noticed, the one thing I noticed about Josh first time I saw him is he's got four arms the size of my thighs. That's not saying much. I've got bird legs, but still, he's, he's got some guns on him, and uh, he's a big old boy, okay? He's strong. Emily doesn't have four arms, okay? So, that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But anyhow, I'm just telling you, if we put a table right here and decided they were going to arm wrestle by a show of hands, how many of you think that Emily would win? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's good dad praise God yeah let's give let's give a hand right there for the dad in the room that's right all right all right so anyhow so anyhow let me just tell you let me tell you just you know Josh is stronger than Emily pound for pound maybe not but I'm just telling you he's stronger uh, than Emily so here's what we're going to do we're going to have Josh get a grip on this on this book actually we're going to use one with a hard cover so we don't tear it up all right and we're going to have Josh get a grip on this book and we're going to see if Emily is able to get this out of his grip as he continues to get a little better grip okay and Josh I'll tell you about the first finger here in just a moment okay because otherwise they'll be watching you instead of listening to me I'm not much to look at but I do want them to listen so uh so here's the deal we're, we're going to pretend that Josh is a brand new believer and he came across John 10, 10, that says Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come to give life, life more abundantly. Then he came across uh, Psalms 119.11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And he realizes that he's got this incredible opportunity to get some ammo, and that's to hide the word of God in his heart. He realizes that. So he decides he's going to get a better grip on the word of God. And we know how we grip something, it's with our fingers, okay? So the first finger that Josh is going to add... He's going to add his thumb, okay? Let me tell you what the thumb represents. It represents hearing the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God. Now, in a moment, Josh is just going to try to balance the Bible on his thumb, not just yet because it will be entertaining, but he's going to try to balance, and we're going to see if Emily's strong enough, even though Josh is stronger, to get that from his grip, okay? Just trying to balance. Here's what hearing the Word of God represents. It represents people who are coming to church, and they're hearing the Word of God. Maybe even in addition to that, going to a small group Bible study, a Sunday school class, a Wednesday night Bible study, and hearing the Word of God being taught. They're hearing it being preached, they're hearing it being taught, and that's a great thing, amen? It's important. Jesus says, forsake not the assembling of the brethren. We want to come to church. So that's what Josh is doing as a new believer. Let's see if that's enough of a grip, okay? So he's trying to balance, and you don't have to wait till he actually gets it balanced, but let's see if you can get that away, okay? All right, piece of cake, right? So you're saying, Bob, that if I come to church and I hear the Word of God being preached and being taught, still not enough, 
Hear this. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. Say steal, kill, and destroy. He hates your guts. He hates your marriage. He hates your relationship with your kids. He hates this church. He cannot stand us, and he wants to bring chaos time after time after time. So Josh, the new believer, is going to get a stronger grip on the Word of God. He's going to add a second finger. It's going to be his index finger, so he's got a little pinching action going on. So Josh, go ahead and grab that. Don't squeeze it just yet. I want you to be fresh whenever Emily tries to get that from you, okay? But the second finger represents reading the Word of God, okay? So now as a new believer, he's saying, not only am I going to come to church and hear the Word of God, but I'm going to read it every day. I've got a goal of setting down and reading and studying the Word of God. Now, he may not hit every day, and he's not going to beat himself up if he doesn't, but more days than not, he's going to sit down with this inerrant book, and he's going to read and study the Word of God. It's what we often refer to as our quiet time. So Josh put that second finger on. His knuckles are turning white, just like they do during every invitation. No, I'm kidding. But anyhow, Emily, get back behind that thing. On the count of three, I want you to try to pull that away. You ready? One, two, three. It was harder. It was harder, but she still got it. So you're saying that if I hear the Word of God, if I read and study the Word of God and even shoot to do that every day, still not enough, Satan wants to still kill and destroy. I'm telling you, he is a worthy adversary. God is almighty. We know that. But we cannot underestimate the enemy of our opponent, or the, the, the power of our opponent. Cannot do it. So Josh, the new believer, is going to add a third finger. It represents meditating on the Word of God. Now, what do I mean by meditating? What he's going to do is he's going to maybe look at seven verses of the Bible. It's one parable of Jesus. Maybe he's going to look at three or four verses in the wisdom books. You know, maybe he'll read a little more than that. He wants to read something that's going to be concise enough, yet a complete kind of section or story. But here's what he's going to do. He's going to read it once, and then he's going to back up after he thinks about it and says, God, what does this mean to me today? He's going to read it a second time. Same, same verses. Then he's going to back up after he says, God, what does this mean to me today? And he's going to take out a pen or a pencil, and he's going to underline key phrases or circle intriguing words. He's going to think about it. God, what does this mean to me today? He might end up reading that seven times. You know, I, I heard of a pastor one time that before he ever took a pen to a tablet, but whenever he's preparing a message, he read the text 75 times. He said, I wouldn't even give in to the temptation of writing anything down because sometimes I go, oh, I nope. He read that that would take me all week because I read like a fourth grader. But I'm telling you, he read the text 75 times because he wanted to understand it. The point is this. I would rather read one verse and get it than read 18 chapters and maybe it go in one ear and out the other. I love to read the Bible through in a year. And I'm all for that. If you do that, more power to you. Every believer ought to read the Bible through from cover to cover a few times in their life, a couple times at least. But I can tell you that if I know how I'm wired, and if I'm going to do that, I want to put a check mark by the box and get through those 18 chapters, and I'll do it quick enough that I just lose focus on every squirrel that's outside my window. <laughs> so there's, there's got to be a time that you... Now, you might be able to do that and still comprehend it and understand it. I just don't have that ability. So I'd rather read three or four verses and understand it. So that's what Josh is doing. He's meditating on the Word of God. So Josh put that third finger on, and Emily, you tucked in behind that with both hands, and on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, still got it. Heard his fingers slap together. Did you hear that? He's got a better grip every time, but still. Bob, you're telling me hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God 
Still not enough. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates us. So the fourth finger that Josh is going to add as a new believer is memorizing the Word of God. I'm going to ask you guys to sit down for a minute or two because I've got just a little bit to say about this. Memorizing the Word of God. Now, what do we mean? We, we know what Scripture memorization is, and we know what it's all about, but I just want you to think about something for a moment, okay? Because all Scripture is profitable. All Scripture is good. Uh, you know, there's not, there's not a single verse that wouldn't be good for us to memorize and for us to learn. But I just want you to know that it's interesting to me that in John 10, 10, that we referenced a little bit ago, that Jesus referred to the enemy, Satan, as a thief. Everybody say thief. thief. And I think we'd go around this room and we'd come up with all kinds of different characteristics, so to speak, aspects of a thief. But there are three that really come to mind to me this morning, and one in particular. The first characteristic of a thief, and one of the reasons why I believe that Jesus referred to Satan as a thief, is a thief will always rob when we least expect it. A thief is going to do research and make sure nobody's home. I've never heard a story of a thief that stopped to rob a guy's house while he was cleaning a shotgun on the front porch with a box of shells beside him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're always going to research and find out when no one is there. And I'm telling you, the enemy hits us the same way when we least expect it. You might be on a mountaintop experience. You might have just come off of an incredible high. You might be in your prayer closet when one of the most wicked thoughts all of a sudden hit your mind with that fiery dart. He will attack when we least expect it. Another reason why, though, that I believe that Jesus refers to the enemy as a thief is because a thief will also come to steal that which is most precious. He wants to get the most valuable thing. You know what I believe the most precious thing is we have today? Relationships. First and foremost, our relationship with Jesus. Here's the good news. Once we have that, once we've authentically, say authentic, once we've authentically embraced the gospel, he can't steal that from us. The Bible says no man can snatch us out of his hand. His Father, who is greater than all, no man can snatch us out of his Father's hand. And I'm telling you, we can't lose that. But I tell you what he does do. He is actively trying to get people from starting that relationship in the first place. He also has an ability to steal the passion once you have the relationship with Christ. Sin can creep into our life, and Satan says, don't even go to God with that one. He's really ticked off now. You better lay low for a while. Whenever God is saying, I'm right here, look up, confess it, surrender, repent, I'm here to forgive you. So, he is out to steal relationships. Relationships between husbands and wives. Relationships between parents and their children. Grandparents and their grandchildren. Biological and spiritual brothers and sisters. He loves to steal that which is most precious. But the third reason, and the key reason why for this morning's point that I believe that Jesus refers to Satan as a thief is because a thief will always enter in at the easiest point of entry. He'll always enter in at the easiest point of entry. You see, I've already picked on you, Brian. So, Brian, if you were going to break into Chuck's house and his front door was this solid steel door with 10 deadbolt locks on it and his back door is a little flimsy screen door with a little hook and ring, which door would you enter by? The back door. And why is that? It's easier. See, a thief will always come in through the easiest point of entry. And here's what we need to understand. Satan's a thief. And every one of us in this room have an easiest point of entry. Maybe you have one, two, or three. You ever notice that the enemy usually isn't getting victory and, and kicking our tail in 15, 16 different areas of our life simultaneously? No, it's usually the same one, two, or three areas over and over and over and over. I've got a weakness in my life that if I ever let it out of control, it will put me away on a shelf. 
And every one of us have those. And if you're taking notes, I do not want you to write the answer down to this question, but I want you to ask yourself and answer it in your heart. What is the weakest area of your life? What is the weakest area of your life? You might have two or three. You see, the thing is, three beings know my weakness. Three beings know my weaknesses and your weaknesses. You know, I know mine. God knows, thankfully. But you better believe your enemy knows. And he's going to try to enter in through the easiest point of entry. He's not going to dangle bait in front of you that's not appealing. And time after time after time, he hits you with that. So where does scripture memorization come in? What we need to do, I'm convinced, even though all scripture is profitable, I believe we need to seek out scripture that deals with our case-specific weakness and commit those to memory. Because the next time he tempts you with that, you'll have that ammo. The next time he tempts you with that, you'll have an ability to use something that will cause him to tuck tail and run, and that's the word of God. What's the biblical example of this? It's Jesus himself. After John the Baptist baptized him, he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and at the end of that time, he was tempted three times by Satan. He had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the book of James, by the way, says, God cannot tempt nor be tempted. Is this a contradiction? Satan tempted Jesus. Well, Jesus was 100% God, but he's also 100% what? Man, it was not the deity of Christ being tempted, it was the humanity of Christ being tempted, and Satan tempted him, and what was the first temptation? Why don't you turn these stones into bread? I believe he was trying to enter in who, what, what he thought was the easiest point of entry. He was starving to death, had not eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And what did Jesus use to combat him? Scripture. That was related to that. And he did it to model it for us. So we would memorize Scripture. Another reason why I say Scripture is so important, and before I even say that, I hope I remember it, but let me just tell you this. Even if you memorize this Scripture that deals with your weakness... And you've got that man in your weaponry, and you are ready to use it. Guess what? The battle still doesn't get easy. Because here's the reason why. At the point of temptation, and by the way, temptation is not sin. We're going to be hit with these fiery darts over and over and over, and they're wicked thoughts. It's all kinds of stuff, and it's the stuff that's our weaknesses. And sometimes we can walk away from the temptation feeling dirty, but I'm telling you, if you give in to the temptation, if I give in to the temptation, it becomes sin. If I resist the temptation, it, does not, it is not sin. And, and we need to understand, and that's why we need to be able to take God's way of escape that he always gives. But when that temptation comes, I can have verses ready, but I still have to choose to step up to the plate and use them. Because here's why I don't want to sometimes. I have sinful affections in my life. There are sins in my life that I'm attracted to. And I'm telling you, if I'm not careful, I'm going to end up saying this. I'm just going to do it one more time. I'll never do it again. I've got the verses. He'll run. But there are too many times I don't resist the temptation. And I give in to sin. So even whenever you commit these to memory, don't think the battle's over. We have to choose to step up to the plate and honor God. Give every thought under, take every thought under captivity and give it to Him. And He gives us a way of escape if we'll use that. We'll never be perfect. We all know that. But I'm telling you, He gives us that. Another reason why I say Scripture memory is so important is because, can you imagine if our government or another government came in and, and confiscated every Bible? I don't think they'd ever give, get them all, but 
We have all kinds of brothers and sisters over the last 24 hours that have been worshiping in, in, you know, in secret. We call it the underground church. And if they're found, they'll be killed. Many of them have not one page of God's Word. If that ever happened here, do you know how much Bible we would have in this room? However much we had memorized collectively. If this was the first day of not having any Bibles, and we said, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We've got several people here that are ready to start writing them down. Uh, we're going to start here in the back, and we're going to go all the way through and up to the balcony. I want you to quote every verse you have committed to memory, and then we'll put them in chronological order. I wonder how much Bible we would have in this room. See, I think it would surprise us if we, if we, if we realized how many of us know the same Scriptures. But Scripture memory is vital. We hide His Word in our heart. His Word. You want to talk about an ability to trust. And those scriptures, whenever you're driving down the road and that fiery dart hits your mind of, of something that you're fearful of, that'll bring a scripture that'll bring peace. So Josh and Emily, they're going to come back up. Josh now has the fourth finger on the Word. Emily, on the count of three, you get behind that, both hands, and pull. You ready? One, two, three. Wiggle it back and forth, little seesaw thing. Josh almost had the ability to crawl back. He's getting better. You're saying, are you kidding me? Hearing the Word of God, coming to church, reading the Word of God, meditating, memorizing. Still not enough. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. I can't, I can't stress enough how much he hates us. So Josh is going to add a fifth finger on in its prayer. Everything he hears, everything he reads, everything he meditates about, everything that he memorizes, he's going to bathe in prayer. So Josh, put the fifth finger on. Emily, you get behind there, and I'm telling you, you pull like you've never pulled before. You're doing great, okay? Let's see everybody give Emily a hand. Isn't she impressive? Right? I mean, you know you're rooting against Josh, the new believer. You know that, don't you? <laughs> kind of sets you up there. Sorry about that. Ready? One, two, three. All right, if Josh would have let go, she would have gone through the wall. Anyhow, still got it. Still got it. So, Bob, what are you saying? Well, here, first of all, I've got good news. We're going to put a second hand on, but it all represents one thing. It's not one finger at a time. This is not a ten-point message, okay, just to let you know we're, we're, we're going to get out of here, okay? But the first hand represents saturation. <coughs> saturation. What Josh has done as a new believer is he saturated himself with the Word of God. We know what saturation is. If I had a five-gallon bucket of water right here in front of me, a small sponge that I held tightly in my fist, and I put it underneath the water, did not release it, I'd pull it out and still have a, small, uh, a, a dry sponge. But if I took that sponge and I took it in that water and I just let it go and let it hang out in there for a little while, I would pull that sponge out and it would be completely saturated, completely soaked. And that's what Josh has done as a new believer. But there's a second hand. And until we add the second hand, I'm telling you, we'll never have the grip that we need. And the second hand represents submission. It's surrendering. It's saying this, before I read, before I hear what I'm going to hear, I surrender. Because I trust you. And I don't believe you're going to cramp my style. I believe you're going to give me freedom. Before I read what I'm going to read, I already submit. 
Before I meditate on those, I already surrender. Before I memorize Scripture, I already surrender. Before I bathe it in prayer, I already surrender. Whenever we submit to that, we've got a grip on the Word of God. Now, Josh, put the second hand on there. And Emily, I want you to get back in behind there and try to pull as hard as you can, okay? One, two, three. Now, if you think Emily is going to get that away from Josh now, you got another thing coming. As a matter of fact, they would, they would stay there until they destroyed that thing. And this is Robin, so we don't want that to happen, number one. Number two, the Word of God is going to be here forever, so it's never going to be destroyed. Amen? Now, let's give these guys a hand, and thank you so much. But still, even with this, we need to understand something, church. As believers, we have this condition. And it's called being a human being. It's a terrible thing to be. Terrible thing to be. And I want you to know what that means. What it means is life is about, it's a series of moments. We get that, don't we? It's a series of moments. We, we talked about it a couple times already. Satan operates with this fiery dart method. He'll hit us with a thought. That is not sin, that's temptation. It's what we do with that or not to become sin or not. And he hits us with that thought. But see, right now I'm walking through a new season. And Satan knows that I've got yet another weakness in my life. Because we're 250 days into the most agonizing walk of our life. 248 since our daughter Hannah was diagnosed with acute leukemia. 250 days ago today, on January 5th of this year, we took her to what we thought was a fairly routine doctor's appointment. The next day on January 6th, I was in staff meeting. The staff stopped and prayed over me right after I got the call saying, don't ask questions, just rush her to the ER. And I called my wife and we met there with all of our kids. It was the next day on January 7th that our doctor point guy of our medical team who by the way uh, turns 48 today happy birthday to my doctor he's become a very good friend sat down beside me and beside my bride and said it's acute it's leukemia and see because Hannah already had a compromised immune system having down syndrome her white count was higher than he'd ever seen it in his history and he'd been practicing for a while we caught it early but it was eating her alive and the prognosis was not good and the outcome was not good and he was great. He was, he was straight gut honest with us. But I want to tell you, I have had a lot of moments of fear in the 248 days that's passed since the diagnosis. Let me tell you some of those. Every time somebody mentions a date, Christmas is getting pretty close, my mind instantly says, will she still be alive at Christmas? Every time we're at a birthday party, my mind instantly says what will next year's birthday party be like will she be here if we're setting a date for a ministry in 2022 i instantly don't even think about the ministry i think about will my daughter still be here and you know in this one moment don't ask me why it's just the enemy capitalizing on what he knows has become one of my new weaknesses i vividly saw myself for a split second standing at her casket These are brutal days. But I can tell you in the last 248 days of moments that I've had more seasons of peace and greater peace than I've ever had in my 59 years of life. And and I can tell you without, without doubt, it's not because of my faith. 
It's because we serve an incredible God that will give you what you need. Four and a half years ago, our family walked through a very difficult season. It wasn't relationally. It was just a difficult season. And I sat down with my bride and I said, Honey, we love each other. Our kids love each other. We love our kids. They love us. That We all love Jesus. We don't have a child in the hospital with leukemia. That was always my bottom bar. I said, we're, all the big ticket items are in place. We're going to get through this. But I'm here to tell you that today, we do have a child with leukemia. I did not have the grace in my life four and a half years ago, whenever I made that statement, to have a child in the hospital with leukemia. You know what? I didn't need that grace. Today, I need that grace. And today, His grace is sustaining. Because He provides us the grace that we need at the moment. And it's not because... We're this mountaintop of faithful people. It's because God loves us. And he provides this. And I say all that to say this. If you're sitting here and you're going, but if you only knew the moments of fear that come into my mind, I must not love God. No, you do love God. Those are fiery darts. But I'm telling you the seasons of peace that he brings, but it only comes if we know him. A great friend in my life, Tom Hufty, used to always say whenever the storms come, you cannot go out and buy yourself a 20-year walk with God. And it doesn't happen that way. That's why we need to walk with him today. We need to have a grip on this word. And how much of a grip do we really have? Are we, do we have a passion to know him better today than we knew him yesterday? We're not going to be perfect in that. And the beauty of it is, well, the chaos of it is, Everyone in this room knows fully well you're either in a storm, you just came out of a storm, or you're getting ready to hit another storm you're not even aware of yet. It's called planet Earth. One day Jesus is going to come back and fix this place, but it's not time yet. And I'm just telling you, until then, it's holding on to Him. So if your storm happens tomorrow and you don't have a 20-year walk with God, are you in trouble? No. Start walking with Him today. Because today you've heard and today you can read and study. And today you can meditate. And today you can begin the memorization process. Today you can pray. And most importantly, today you can say, God, I need your strength because I am weak. But that's whenever the Bible says you show off most. I submit. I surrender. But I just don't want you and your precious heart thinking that because moments are brutal, that your trust is not in the God that brings a season of peace. Now, if those moments turn into a season, talk to someone. We battled depression through this. Depression is ugly. It's hard. I battled it before. I battled depression fairly often. But I want you to know that you might be in a season, even a depression. And some people say that's always demonic. Well, I don't believe, I, I believe that Satan utilizes it and jumps on it as your new weakness whenever it comes around. But you might have a chemical thing going on that's no different than being diabetic. Go, go get looked at. Consult someone that's a medical professional that you trust. But I'm just saying we're just in these busted up old bodies. And one day it'll be a perfect body. But it's not time yet. And you've got a God that is head over heels in love with you. But I'll promise you, he will bring peace. But do we have a passion to know him? Because as we know him as a believer, we trust him. And as we trust him, Gideon built an altar 
before all the good stuff even happened because he said, you are my peace. Say peace. peace. Say peace. peace. He's a God of peace and he'll bring it to you. I want to show you a couple last pictures here. Here's a picture of peace. By the way, Roger developed my PowerPoint. I love that guy. He's so incredible. I don't even know how to do this stuff. Although one time I was preaching, uh, he, ta- he and I tag teamed uh, two days apart with some other people over at an event, and uh, I was preaching the day after him and had my PowerPoint just like this where I was going through the pages because they were my notes, and Roger got a hold of my notes ahead of time and put several other pieces of paper in the midst. The first one I got to said, the beans you had for lunch are getting ready to break loose. <laughs> my, my, your pastor, your pastor. He was videotaping while I'm preaching, and I noticed him in the back of the room videotaping. I'm going, man, my pastor, he's so intrigued with this message. He's videotaping that. And then I saw it, and I'm going, put the care. I ratted him out in front of everybody. You know what my preacher said? He went to my daughter, Michaela, ahead of time and said, you think I should do this? And she said, oh, yeah. So <laughs> I never do anything to anybody, but everybody's always kind of lame for me. But, okay. I confess that wasn't true. So, but I can tell you, this is what we view as peace. And it does look peaceful, but I want you to know it's really not peace. Matter of fact, the next picture is peace. You see that little white dot out in the middle? Brenda, if we can kind of bring that into the next frame. Peace is not the absence of chaos. Matter of fact, I would submit to you that we don't even really know that it's peace if there's not chaos all around us. If the wheels aren't falling off everything. That's when you know it's peace. See, it's like my kids, whenever they were little, they would come to me, and I was a younger man, and they thought I was 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Whenever they were all little, each one of them took their turns, coming to me at one point or another, and said, Daddy, are you ever afraid? And I said, yeah. I get afraid a lot. And they were shocked by that. They just didn't think I was ever afraid of anything. You know, dads, how, how cool we think that is at the moment? And there's a part of me wanted to go, yeah, I'm never afraid. But I knew what I needed to say. I'm afraid, and you're going to be afraid. But you know, the saying is, you're not brave if you're not afraid. You're not a hero if you're not afraid. If you weren't afraid of something, it wouldn't take any bravery to walk through it. But when you're afraid and you still walk through it, then you're brave. And I want to submit to you that that transfers to peace. We really don't know that it's peace until everything's breaking loose around us. And you still have peace. God will give it to you. But we need to know him. And first and foremost, not so we find peace. It's not about us. But first and foremost, because he's worthy of our worship and our praise and our adoration. Everybody say peace. peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your peace. And Lord, only you can provide it. But God, while we are in a situation, rather some are in a storm right now, or maybe in a time between storms, will you help us to dive into this word? Help us to know you better today than we knew you yesterday. Help us not take for granted this incredible way to know you. Because it's your word, your word. And we can hide it in our hearts That's amazing. So, Father, help us just get honest in whatever way we need to get honest. 
help me get honest and how I need to get honest. How many fingers do we really have on the Word of God? Most of North American Christians are doing the balancing. God, how many fingers do I have missing today from the Word? Lord, just help us. Lord, we thank you that you're Jehovah Shalom. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.